everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast through the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at the Grove, and really glad that you have joined us. And in this little mini-series, we're just kind of working our way through theology, just talking about what systematic theology is, the different categories, Christology, the study of Jesus, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. We also talked about kind of the, maybe the different levels of theology, of kind of the things that are essential that one must believe in order to be a Christian, the foundational things that are foundational to Christian living, the important things that Christians often disagree on, but, you know, they're important, but we can disagree on them, all right? And then the things that are just simply interesting. And since then, we've been kind of working our way through things that really kind of come into that essential foundational categories. First, we talked about the very nature of who God is. What does it mean to have a theistic worldview? What does it mean that God is a trinity? We spent some time talking about then the the dual nature of Christ, D-U-A-L, the the two natures that Jesus is fully God and fully human and why that's important. And then last time, we just spent some time talking about what does it mean that Jesus Christ died for our sins? And we talked about substitutionary atonement, that we owe a a payment. There's a penalty for our sin. That penalty has to be paid. And we can either pay it or the substitute, Jesus, can pay it for us. And we talk specifically about what that means. And that ultimately, Jesus paid that price for us. But in order for it to really count for us, it's a gift, we have to take it and make it ours. And so that is the way that we can be reconciled with God. That is the way that we can have a relationship with God. But I think there is a question that immediately falls from that that I think that is really important for us to take a minute and discuss. If that is the way that we can be reconciled to God by by believing and trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross, well, the question is, well, if that's the way, is it the way? Is it the only way? Is this the only way? for us to be able to have a relationship with God. Now, if you've been around and listening to these podcasts for a while, or you're a part of the Grove Church on Sunday mornings, and you've heard me talk, we've, we've, we've talked about this a lot, that we are not a church that likes to court controversy. Even though there are a lot of controversial topics that are brought up in the Bible, and the Bible is very clear about what it teaches about some controversial subjects, we, we tend not to shy away from them because we're scared because like we're not necessarily wanting to court controversy about things that are, you know, cause a lot of division in society because way too often, you know, we need somebody, you know, it's the way our culture is right now. If you don't agree with me about everything, we can't be friends. And so if we are going to say things that are controversial, if we're going to say things that really can bring division we want it to be about issues that are of the central most importance. And so we've made a decision that we are going to, uh, to reserve you know, 90 plus percent of our controversy to the idea of what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about his death on the cross, that we believe Jesus Christ is the only hope that this world has. Now, if you say that and you say it boldly and you say it clearly, there are some implications to that that can be controversial. If you say Jesus Christ, the person, the man, the son of God, Jesus Christ is the only hope this world has and the only hope that individuals have, 
there's some, some implications to that. It has implications to, to the non-religious person that I have a problem with God. And unless I get right with God through Jesus, I have a problem. I'll continue to have a problem. And a lot of non-religious people don't want to believe they have a problem and that it is incredibly judgmental for you to say that I am a sinner and that somehow I need to be forgiven or somehow that God is upset with me. But even more controversial is, is the implication that that has for other world religions, other theological or philosophical concepts about the way that the world works and about who God is and how one gets into relationship with him and what and what is called for. And so, you know, it could very easily be considered Islamophobia or anti-Semitism or somehow offensive to Hindus or to Buddhists or whomever to say that Jesus Christ is the only way, is the only hope that people have. And in order to be in right relationship with God, it can only be through Jesus. So I understand that that's controversial. And so, but that is one area in which we as a church, me personally, we are willing to kind of boldly proclaim that because it really is the kind of the key, the key moment, the kind of the key idea, the key concept for helping lost people understand the way the world works, what sin really is, and how sin can really be dealt with. And so what we'll do is we will, we're, we'll just kind of look at a, at a couple of key verses that, that teach this. We'll kind of explain some philosophical concepts that kind of help us categorize what we think about it and what we believe. And as, as time permits, we'll at least talk about some of the objections to, to this idea. But my, I, I would imagine by the time this is over, we will have, you know, for every question I answer, we will, we will raise two or three more. And this is very unlikely um, the last time that we will talk about it. The key verse on this topic is in John chapter 14, verse 6. This is Jesus talking. Well, we'll just go back one more in verse 5, where Thomas, one of his disciples, asked him a question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? So Jesus has been talking about how he's, he's going to die and he's going to go, he's going to heaven, he's going to pre- prepare a place for them and says, hey, and you know, you know the way to the place where I'm going, talking about going to heaven. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Essentially saying, we have no idea what you're actually talking about, Jesus. Where I don't know where you're going, I don't know where you're preparing some place. I don't know how you think we know how to get there. Honestly, bro, we don't even have any idea what you're talking about, which I personally appreciate that level level of vulnerability from Thomas. I'm guessing the other 11 guys were kind of looking at him, kind of like, I don't know what Jesus is talking about. And probably at least four or five of them were probably given that fake, I understand what you're talking about nod. But Thomas had the courage to say, Honest, honestly, Jesus, I have, I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. So Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So Jesus Jesus is establishing this idea even before his death on the cross, that this is the role that Jesus was sent to play. Jesus played other roles as well. He was a teacher. He was a model. He was someone to show 
you know, describe who God is, show how one is supposed to relate to God. He, he did a lot of things, but he is already showing here in John chapter 14, his role as a mediator. And when we say a mediator, we're talking about there's two parties that are in some sort of conflict and they need a mediator. They need someone to come between them to help them resolve the conflict. And so Jesus understands this conflict. He understands that there is a conflict between God and his, and his, and his creation, between people, between individual people and people as a whole, that there is a conflict. There is a conflict and that conflict needs to be mediated. And so he understands this role. And he says, you know, people are looking for the way, the way to the Father, the way to heaven, this, the, whatever this is Jesus is talking about. He's like, listen, I am the way. I'm not talking about some path. I'm not talking about some belief system. I'm not talking about some new idea, some new level of enlightenment, some new moral code. You need to follow these three rules. You need to understand these five concepts. You need to embrace this. You need to have a certain level of morality. You need to do more good things than bad things. He's not describing some path that you now need to follow. I am the path. I am the path. Me as a person, the person of me, Jesus, I am the way. And if you were to ask that question to a lot of people, say, what is the way to God? Most people will describe some sort of moral path, some sort of thing that needs to be done, some problems that need to be solved some bad things that need to be undone and some good things that need to be done in their place. You might hear some version of karma. You might hear some things of kind of a moral scales of balance. You might hear things in terms of devotion and prayer. I mean, all of your major world religions will have some version of that. These are the things that you have to believe. These are the things that you have to do. This is the path of life morally and intellectually that you need to follow in order to be on the right path. And once you get on the right path, this path will lead you to God. Jesus is not talking about a pathway to God in those terms. He is describing himself as the pathway. I am the way. And then he keeps going. And if you, and you think about it, you could think about this thing that Jesus is saying is just some sort of casual Jesus expression. But if you think about the depth of what he is saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the truth. And so you ask yourself, man, what is truth? What do I need to believe in order to really, you know, what, what needs to change about my, my way of thinking, my approach to life? What is the truth that I need to be able to understand the way that the world works? Kind of the, the answer to the big picture cosmic questions of life. Um, what is the truth? And again, rather than pointing you to particular ideas, Jesus points to himself. I am the truth. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Again, a, the, an, another big picture cosmic level question that you can ask, how can I find capital L life in this world and the next? What is life? Where do I find life? What must I do to have this life? Jesus gets asked this question other times. I like, what must I, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he kind of gives a different answer there. Oh man, sell everything you've got. Essentially uh, kind of being a little bit dismissive of this guy, but essentially kind of pointing him to the idea of be, being perfect isn't a possibility. You have to be perfect to inherit eternal life. 
And that's not a possibility for you. And so he's trying to get to break down in this guy, even the idea that perfection is on the table. Perfection is not on the table. You cannot achieve it. You cannot get to life by that path. So how do I get on the path to life? Jesus says, I am the life. And so he is these big picture questions that we have about what is the way? How do I find God? What is truth? What do I, what do I need to believe? What, what, what and where is life? How, what are these things and where do I find them? Again, we tend to think of it in terms of moral codes, philosophical beliefs. Again, you do a study of world religions. These are the things that you're going to find. There, there is a particular worldview that you need to have. There are certain concepts that you need to understand, and there are certain moral codes that you need to follow. And that is the way that you can find the way, you can discover truth, and you can finally have life. And Jesus, rather than typing them up, uh, expressing these things in terms of codes and belief systems, he puts them into his person. I am those things. And then the kicker, no one comes to the Father except through me. There are not other paths. There aren't belief systems. There aren't moral codes. There aren't philosophies. There isn't anything. Just me the person, the mediator, the one who is here to come and fix this relational dispute, this law dispute, this penalty dispute that happens between people and God. This is my job. I am that person. And Paul, in describing this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, says this, starting in verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So it is God's desire that all people find their way back to him. That is his desire. This, 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 this is what his heart is. This is why he sent his son. He wants people to know the truth. He wants people to find the truth. And again, Paul saying the same way, and here is where truth is found in this mediator. There's only one God, and there's only one mediator between you and this God, Jesus Christ. And he's, and the fact that he says both of those things together, there's one God, there's one mediator. I mean, basically saying there's, there's not some pantheon of gods. We talked about this a few episodes ago, and we're talking about what does it mean to have a theistic worldview. There's not a pantheon of gods, the, the Christian God, the Jewish God, the Hindu God, the Muslim God, the, you know, there's not a whole bunch of gods. And in order for you to connect with the Christian God, this is the Christian path to the Christian God, but there is another path to another God. He's making it clear that there is only one God to be found. And this God has said that there is one mediator between God and people, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I feel like that the um, that the biblical case for this is 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 fairly straightforward. It is it is easy to to describe what the Bible teaches, but then there there obviously you know what you think about what the Bible teaches and how you feel about the what the Bible teaches are going to be um, we're all, we're all going to respond to it differently. And so in order for us to kind of categorize, so I put this thing out there, and you're like, man, I'm not sure if I believe that. I'm not sure what I think about that. 
I think it's important for us maybe to kind of define some more terms, some more fancy terms, get your pencil, your pencils and pens out, right? And we're going to talk about some terms because there's some different ideas that people have around this topic. When we say that there is only one path to God, um, there's some different ideas, some different philosophies that people have about whether or not there is one or multiple paths to God and um, how many people ultimately are going to find it. And so there's there's some pretty common terms. Some of these are uncommon. Some of we some people use. Some people use and they know what they mean. Some people use and they have no idea what they mean. And so we're going to put some of these things out here. When we talk about whether or not there is one path to God or multiple paths to God, we're talking about pluralism versus particularism. A pluralism is the idea that there are multiple paths towards God. So there are plural paths. There are multiple, more than one paths to God. And so a pluralist will believe that, you know, there, there are different ways to find God and you just need to choose a path. The way a professor of mine, a religion professor at the college I went to used to describe it. I mean, he used um, mountain imagery. He used uh, river imagery. You know, there's, there's a mountain and you stand at the bottom of that mountain. And there are a lot of ways to get from the bottom of a mountain to the top of the mountain. There are some paths that are better than others, that are safer than others, that are easier than others, that are more well-worn than others. But you cannot say... You cannot say that there is only one way to the top of the mountain. Same way about crossing a river. You're trying to cross a river. There may be some well-constructed, well-trusted bridges, and you can take this bridge, or you can take that bridge, or there may be this rickety bridge, or this small bridge, or you may get on a boat, or you may maybe you're brave enough to try to swim across it yourself. There are a lot of ways to cross a river. There's not simply just one way to cross a river. And so that idea that there are multiple ways to get across to find God, it's pluralism. Um, contrast that with particularism, that there is a particular way. There is only one unique way to, um, to find God. And so there, there, is, there is only one path. And so the counter to the pluralist metaphor is, you can say all you want that there are theoretical ways multiple ways to get to the top of Mount Everest. But if you try any of them, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. And you can think that you can swim across a, a raging river, or you think that you can just construct some boat and get across it yourself. But really, this is a powerful, strong river. And unless you go over this one bridge, everything else is ultimately going to leave to your own demise. You cannot construct this on your own. This is something that only... You know, that, 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 that there is only one path. There's a path that God has set for himself. Anything else you may think will lead you to the top of the mountain, you may think may get you across the river, but ultimately will end up in your own destruction. There's only one path. And so we can talk a little bit more about that, but then there's, a, there's another thing too, and, and uh, uh, people put their, put their, you know, categorize the way that they think about how people find God. And this, and the other one is, universalism versus exclusivism. Universalism is the idea that ultimately everyone will find God. This isn't a question about how many ways there are to get God, but to get to God, but ultimately everyone will find it. When you go to heaven, everyone will be there. Every person that has ever exists, whatever the ideal place is for people to go to, whether it's 
heaven or some sort of reincarnation or whatever you 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 get absorbed into god's greater energy or whatever it is you might think whether it is a physical place a spiritual place everyone ends up in the same good place equally universalism ultimately everyone will find it versus exclusivism exclusivism is that in some way somebody isn't going to find it whether it's one person whether it's everybody but one person, it's half the people, it's all the non-Christians, it's all the non-Muslims. If you believe that there is anybody who will ultimately be excluded, um, then if you believe that that it is exclusive in the sense that there are some people who will be excluded, then you are an exclusivist. And so it's really interesting. And and you know, there's People do this way too often, so I'm not necessarily recommending this. People way too often bring Hitler into into discussions. I mean, it's just it's one of the dumbest, laziest things that you can do in a in, a, in an argument, especially calling somebody Hitler. So I feel better about this because I'm not calling anybody Hitler. But I think whether or not you are genuinely a universalist depends on like when you say this, you it means when you get to whatever it is you believe heaven to be you will see Hitler there and not be surprised. Most people will bail at that point. Again, this same religion professor I was speaking, this was after I'd already graduated, and he would invite me back sometimes to speak to some of his classes. And at the same time, there was another uh, pastor clergy from a completely different tradition who was there as well. And we were and, you know, going through some debate, and he was talking about heaven and the path to heaven in terms of love. And 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 he said, you know, I believe that everybody who is heaven will have one of two things true about them. They either loved well or were loved. And if you have experienced love because God is love, if you've experienced love here, then you will find heaven. And um, and I, you know, I, I let him say, I mean, I was a little more, you know, antagonistic back in those days. He said that, and then it was kind of my turn to respond. And I'm like, um, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to be that guy, but I mean, I would assume that Hitler's mama loved him, that his girlfriend loved him. Are you then saying that Hitler is going to be in heaven with God because he may not have been a loving person, but there's someone who loved him. And I'm thinking at this point, brother's going to bail out and we're going to have a discussion then about really kind of nailing down a little bit more is there also at least some level of morality that is required? And I think we're going to have a good discussion. And he paused there for a second, like the, like the, that idea had never occurred to him. And he's like, "Yeah, man. Well, I guess you're right." And and at that point, again, I'm a little antagonistic. I'm trying to win arguments versus really kindly and gently persuading people. I just kind of looked at the class and just kind of shrugged, like, "Like game over, bro." Um, but. His idea, like he he really genuinely believed that ultimately everybody was going to be there because they had experienced love. And I think that most people, even who have more universalistic hearts, that they believe that there is a wide gate, a wide path that a lot of people are going to find, or that there, again, there are multiple paths. I think most people have at least some exclusivism to them. And so very often when we're talking about this topic, we, we kind of lump pluralism and universalism together because we think of them as the same thing. Pluralism, there's a lot of paths to God and universalism is everybody's going to find it. But those two things are not necessarily included. There are a lot of people that do think that, that they think there are a lot of paths to God. 
Everybody's on their own path. Ultimately, every everybody's path is going to lead to God. There are some people who believe that, but not everybody does. You can be a pluralist and be an exclusivist. That that in order to find God, you have to at a minimum be trying to find God. You have to try. There are multiple paths: the Christian path, the Muslim path, and he's and God Himself has kind of set these different paths out there, and so He sets them out there and kind of like, hey, I'm giving you a whole lot of different chances here. But ultimately, you have to get on to one of these paths. Some people might even limit to just three. They refer to themselves as kind of Abrahamic pluralists and the three religions that came from Abraham, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. If you, you, got, you got to find one of those three. And if you get on one of those three and you get on that path, then ultimately you'll find it. But by definition, then, there'll be some people who are excluded, and so they're not universalists. But as strange as it might sound, um, you can be a universalist, but not necessarily be a pluralist. And now I'm going to tell you about another professor that I had in college. He was a great dude. I liked him. Um, he was at Heidi and I's wedding. I had him for, man, I had him for five different classes, a couple of original classes. He taught me, he taught me Greek my senior year. He was a, he was a great guy. And he was very, he was also a pastor and was just a very tender and kind man. And we would have conversations significantly less antagonistic than I had with anybody else in that department. And, and, and he would talk about, we would talk about this John 14, 6, and this idea that, that, that Jesus Christ is the only way. And he says, I absolutely believe that. And I was just stunned because there were so many other things that I felt like he had said that made it seem that he, that he wouldn't believe that. And then he told the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son where, um, where Jesus, uh, where Jesus is talking about this, this dad and his son leaves, says, I wish you were dead. Just give me my inheritance now. And he goes and he spends all this. And the dad is really sad and essentially spends every day just looking back for um, his son to come back. And, and, and he tells me, he's like, um, you know, that's how God is. God is always looking. He is always waiting for somebody to come to him and he's never going to give up. And I'm like, man, what, what that son, that son could have died. And he, and he never came back. And I always remember this because it was, it was a great argument when he made it. He was like, you know, um, yes, if, 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 that, if, that, if his son had died in that pig pen that he was feeding the pigs in, then that dad would never have been able to be reconciled to his son because that dad's resources would have been limited. He could not pursue his son after death. However, the God that we worship still has the ability to pursue people even after death, and even after death, I do not believe that God will give up on anyone. Which, I mean, really, the, th- the thing that I felt about that was like, man, it, here, here's a guy who, whose theology might be a little off, but really does believe in a very compassionate God and really does understand the nature of the work that Jesus Christ did. And so we would talk about it a little bit more. And, and some of you may be like, bro, you know, I'm gonna need you to give me an objection to that right now, or bro. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm buying in. I'm I'm on team Dr. Farthing right now. Um, Hebrews 9:27, I mean, it says that that it's appointed that everyone is going to die, and then after that comes judgment. And then all throughout the gospels, all throughout the gospels, you see it that what what Jesus talks about is in the end, after death there is going to be a reckoning of some sort and people are going to be put into two different camps. He talks about the rich man and Lazarus. He talks about how 
that, um, you know, this, 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 this poor beggar who had a heart for God ends up with Abraham and Abraham's bosom and, this, and, the, and the rich guy ends up being in torment. And the guy in torment apparently has the ability to communicate to, to Abraham. He's like, man, let me get out of here. Let me at least go, you know, what can I do? And Abraham, he can't come here. He's like, well, let me go warn my brothers. He's like, man, you can't, you can't do that. Where you are, you can't get to here. And where we are, we can't get to you. And you can't get back. It's not how this works. So this is from the very teaching of Jesus that, that, that judgment comes post-death and that there is no way to escape the bad place once you get there. And so, you know, Jesus's very own teaching, the same Jesus that he has such a great passion for that, 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 that does just express the, the love and the concern and the draw of God has established terms that says it is this life you must get reconciled to me in the life in which you got unreconciled from me. Those are the terms that God has set. And so while it might feel good to be a, um, um, a, a, a universalist, but still a particularist, you know, that there is only one way and it's through Jesus, it may, it may feel good, but um, it, it goes against the very things that Jesus himself has taught. Now, when we wrestle with this question, I think, I think it is really important for us to think of our own personal objections to this, like, you know, in, into different categories. I think the most common category are the emotional responses that we have to it. We have these emotional responses. Something about that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel loving. It doesn't feel kind. It feels inconsistent with certain things. And like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Some of it may be kind of more logistical questions. So how does that work? What about somebody who never even hears about Jesus? What about people who live before Jesus? These kinds of logistical questions. And I think it's important for us to kind of think this through, just kind of like, if, if I feel some concern, if I feel some objection, like, is it, is it, is it, is it, a, is it a motive? Um, it, and you know, it's like, does is it is it uh, is it theological? Is it is like I I disagree with what the Bible says. I don't think the Bible says that. I think it's really important because ultimately, like I said earlier, and not trying to you know be too clever about it, I do believe that the Bible itself is pretty clear on what the Bible teaches about this particular issue. And so, in some ways, like I just because of these other predominant beliefs that I have about the kindness and the love and the compassion of God, the Bible just must be wrong. Well, that's something you have to wrestle with. But I think ultimately those kinds of objections, we need to make sure that we have a complete and totally holistic view about who God really is. God is love. God is kind. He is, he is compassionate. He is all of those things, but he is also holy. He also um, really abhors sin. He is, and and he also is the king. He also is the ruler. He is also these other things. It may be that we just have a misunderstanding about the real significance of what sin is, and and how important sin is, and the real consequence and weight that sin has. And so, I think as we are wrestling with this issue, um, I think it's important to make sure is is it because this feels inconsistent with God? Is it because it just it just doesn't feel right? 
Do I just not believe the Bible? Or again, is it more these logistical concerns? And I'm going to bring some of these up and I am making a decision here, which I, I think I, I told you at the very beginning, which guys is going to go. This is obviously going to be a two-parter. Um, you know, what about people who live in the Old Testament? What about someone who is just a genuine, sincere, good follower of another religion? What about people who live in a place where they never really get to hear about God? What do we do about these things? Regardless of kind of what your initial concern or objection to that is, I want to encourage that. I want to encourage the wrestling you have. If you have any, I don't like that. That doesn't feel right. I don't believe it because it is in that wrestling. It is in the uncertainty and the frustration and the confusion of that 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 will ultimately lead us to deeper understanding of who God is, who sin, what sin is, and the power of what Jesus did. I would encourage you to do that wrestling, but I would never encourage you to do it alone. I would encourage you to keep listening to this podcast. I would encourage you to get into a small group, be really connected to a good church, and begin to ask these questions with really good people. Because the more we understand who Jesus is, what he did, the significance of it, the character of God, the reality of sin, the 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 more deep our faith becomes, the more connected we become um, with God through Jesus. And so, I encourage the thinking, I encourage the wrestling, but do it in a but do it in community, and do it with the idea that you believe that the God of the universe wants to help you understand the depth and the power of 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 these issues. So again, man, part of me is a little bit sorry to kind of leave you hanging a little bit with some things to think about, but really there is great power in that. And just ask you to continue to join us, to keep listening, come back, come back next time. We'll just kind of talk some more about some of these issues. And we would love to see you on a Sunday too. We'd love to see you at the Grove Church. You can find us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. If you live live in Northwest Arkansas, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning, or you can join us online. We're streaming our services, our 1030 service every week. So again, I'm Charlie, and thanks again for joining us.